1: Another big show for you today. We kick it off talking United Soccer Coaches Foundation. They have money to perhaps support you. Somebody that lost their job coaching or just now getting it back that might need some funds to get in a course or attend the digital convention or something like that, Jeff Finnell and Mike Curry, both honor award winners. Jeff Finnell is the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee. Mike Curry is the chair of the marketing subcommittee for the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. They talk about what they want to do right now, what they've done in the past, and what they're going to do in the future. Incredible work from the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Of course, Al Albert has long been a great part of that as well. But today, it's Jeff Finnell and Mike Curry to kick it off. Up second, I want to thank Julio Serrano for continuing our five part series on Heritage Month. We are joined by Cynthia Cervantes. What a story! From Texas, grew up in a family. It wasn't easy. Mom kind of wanted to keep her at home. Dad got behind her. Then he had a bad accident. She kept on going, was able to play college, and now she's coaching amongst the men she said it's not been easy she even adopted a little girl she's just a wonderful human being which if you know julio it's not surprising that he connected us with another wonderful human being as part of this five-part heritage month series that's second Up third, Steve Malone. Last year, got his 50-year pin. That's right. He's been a member of United Soccer Coaches for 50 years. He's a former past president and he's also won the Robbie Robinson Lifetime Service Award in high school soccer. He's got a lot to say, including the fight that his daughter's having right now. Looks like she's going to get a kidney transplant. Knock on wood that that happened. Steve Malone, good people. He's up third. And then we finish with Brian Price, who founded top mental game now more than ever what a year we've had you've got to be mentally strong and brian price top mental game wraps up the show and we do it all after a word from our presenting sponsor team snap
0: does managing your club or league feel like a second job if so you might need some help with team snap you can get it their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com NSCAA1.
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I'm Dean Linky. Delighted to talk about the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Now more important than ever as we deal with these unprecedented times. And I'm pleased to be joined by two of the superstars of the association, both honor award winners. We start with Jeff Fennell. He's the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee. An honor award winner in 2008 and past president in 1993 You always see his smiling face at the convention. This year, you'll see it digitally. Then we're also joined by Mike Curry, who's been a guest before. He is the chair of the marketing subcommittee for the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. And like Mr. Vanell, he is an honor award winner named a year ago. Great to see you, Jeff. Great to see you, Mike. Thanks for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. Likewise. Thank you. All right, Jeff, we'd start with you because you got the big title of the chair of the foundation committee. And we want to remind everybody first, the history of the foundation and its mission. It's your floor, sir.
2: Thank you. Well, at the 1989 convention, Bill Holloman, past president, was president during that time. And Bill had the vision of establishing a foundation that would enhance the work of the Coaches Association and provide resources for coaches to further education at a course or a convention. Or something of that sort. And that board established the Foundation Committee. The mission statement has you know, slightly changed over the years, but it reads now provides financial support for coaching education and other developmental opportunities for United Soccer Coaches members to bring soccer to underserved sub socio communities and the Absi Group membership. And the, its committee is composed of, of 22 volunteers. From all walks of life, we have four subcommittees. Mike, as you said, is chair of the marketing committee, Al Albert is in charge of our fundraising. Brian Green in charge of investments, and Jay England in charge of awards, the yearly awards. And if you look on the website, go under Coaches Give, which is the on the banner up top. That will get you to the foundations page, where history is even more detailed than that. Currently, we're at about 1.3 million, thanks to Brian Green, who is who is good at what he does, and we're happy to be able to spend some of that money. Usually, the money goes in through three areas. One is to provide money for a coach to go take one of our United Soccer Coaches Academy programs. Second is to have a program, usually in an underrepresented population area, to offer a course, one of our academy courses. And the third is to go to conventions. But because we're no longer offering courses, unfortunately, or be able to take them and the convention has now gone virtual, uh, we came up with the idea given the uh, times we're in, that some of our coaches probably are under financial difficulties. So we decided that we would take the earned income from the funds that we have. And there are 24 of those, but because some funds are funded more than others, we give out 28 awards a year, take the money earned from those funds to pay for membership dues. And we have an application, which is on that same page, uh, under Coaches Give, the Foundation, a short little application and we're hoping that we can generate uh, some more applications through our podcast here because we want to be able to help that is
1: outstanding and certainly in a time where we all need a little bit of help. So I think that's great, Jeff, that that is your message. Mike, before we talk about the metrics of giving, I just want a blanket statement from you because I'm not surprised you're on this. You've always put your money where your mouth is. You've always been very generous with United Soccer Coaches and the foundation. So I'm guessing when they said, hey, can you help marketing? It was an easy choice for you.
3: Yes. Thank you. Privilege that you mentioned about the honor award. It was quite a wonderful surprise. And In my acceptance speech, I mentioned how much soccer has been a part of my life. And uh, I think most of my success as a business person, as a human being, really, I learned those lessons on the soccer field. You know, soccer is an interesting game, right? You learn about, let's say, the uh, wide world of sports for those who are old enough to remember that, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and everything in between. And so as I became more and more successful, I decided I'm going to get back to the game by coaching. And then it quickly occurred to me that, well, wait a minute, I've got this wonderful business experience and I have influence there. And I work every day with some successful business people and they're all soccer crazy nuts, too. So there's got to be a way that I can also carve that piece out. And so as the foundation evolved, I mean, I was one of the first ones to catch that moving train and said, hey, how can I help and pay it forward to other coaches and players and communities to have the benefit of that experience just as I've had.
1: Well, let's get into it here, Jeff, because basically, if I heard you correctly, and we've got a great audience now, incredible listenership to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, you're saying, hey, look at me over here. We can help, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Just go on the uh, coaches page and fill out this very, very short application. We're just asking how, if you've been affected by COVID, we need some biographical information, obviously. Then it's simply pushing a button. And if we're fortunate enough or to raise uh, numbers that are – past our income abilities we'll just do a lottery.
1: Very good. All right, Mike, I touched on it earlier. What about the metrics of giving over the past few years and can you provide a lot of highlights of the breadth and depth of the foundation's awards?
3: Yeah, I'd be glad to. I'll I'll, I'll keep it short and just do some of the highlights, but you know, we started tracking metrics back in 2006, so we've got 14, 15 years of watching our uh, curve grow and like any business chart when you look at the first couple years and actually watch that bell curve take off it's pretty exciting to see how much the foundation has grown and about two years ago we actually exceeded our goal we had a 10-year goal to exceed a million dollars in endowed funds and uh, we're past that now and growing that's important because once you hit that type of threshold you then start to attract other donors especially corporate donors and i'm really pleased to say one of them is a target who's actually supporting our urban soccer initiative. And so far, we've actually, through their generosity, sponsored 500 coaches and over 700 diplomas. And they give quite generously each year a stipend for us to expand our reach into soccer communities. We have over 40 members now in the Foundation's Legacy Society. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, these are members who have decided That soccer is important to them and so when they move on to the great soccer field in the sky that they've actually left in their will a component of their wealth to transfer to the foundation and for any foundation that is where the bulk of the giving occurs and when you look at large endowments like some of your institutions of higher learning you know they get a lot of their momentum from gifts that are given from alumni who decide to leave a part of their wealth as their legacy. Since 2006, we've given out over 208 awards. These are both scholarships for coaches to go to uh, courses, and it covers those costs, to convention scholarships for coaches to attend the convention, to grants to soccer organizations, all of them with a focus on underserved communities or coaches who coach in underserved communities. If you added up the, the, the value of those 208 awards, it's well over $200,000. Last December for Giving Tuesday, we broke a record, our own record, which we hope to break again this year. So everybody keep your eye out for Giving Tuesday this December. But we raised over $25,000 on that one day to help grow our, our foundation. So we're really excited about that. And then last year, Target raised the ante with their giving. And they provided a single gift of over $100,000 for the 2020 Urban Soccer Initiative. And as Jeff mentioned, just to show how great a partner they are, because they really do get it, they could have easily have said, look, this grant has restrictions to actually have those coaches learn on the field. And they've allowed us the flexibility to actually use that money in other ways to help accommodate coaching needs during this time of covid So I think that gives you a a really good overview of how we've grown over the last 14 years. And again, I want to thank everyone on behalf of the foundation and on behalf of Jeff as well as, as as our chair, for all those people out there who have been very generous in giving of their time, talent, and treasure, and especially those who have given to those funds, supporting their coaches and other organizations that are giving to the soccer community.
1: I want to remind everybody we're here with not one, but two honor award winners. As you're talking about Jeff Finnell, who's the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee, and also Mike Curry, who handles the marketing subcommittee. Jeff, back to you. Another big name, Ray Reed, national champion coach. I've called a lot of his games. He stepped
2: up as well. Yes, he did. Just recently, we are very fortunate. Ray has established a fund in the, called the Ray Reed Family Fund, which yearly will support and adjoins our other 24 funds in supporting a minority college coach to take opportunity for one of the three areas that Mike and I described where our awards go. And he's also left a very, very large and very generous legacy gift, which in, uh, when Ray joins that big team in the sky, uh, will go to any minority coach to have an educational opportunity within the association. So we're thrilled to have Ray on board. And I should mention that Ray and I live in the same town. So uh, those of those have funds. We have a dare out there for all of you. And we're thrilled about it. I should also add to Mike's description and mine of the types of awards we give. And he mentioned Day of Giving. Those funds are yearly funds and we spend those by the year. The others are endowed funds. So, for example, uh, last year, we, one of our coaches in New Jersey um, who was uh, paralyzed from the neck down and, and still manages to coach and do well needed a new uh, van and the foundation was happy to make a donation toward that. So, if there are members out there in times and in trouble, for example, in the hurricane areas or the fire areas, have a soccer need and their members, they should go through advocacy group level and get that to us and we may be able to help.
1: I am moved. I love what I do for United Soccer Coaches and it's because of conversations like this sincerely. And Mike, when you think about Ray Reed and what he's doing, particularly for minority coaches as a man of color, please tell me that moves you.
3: Oh, I mean, I have a connection to Ray Reed as well. Uh, When I uh, had the privilege of working for uh, Jorgen Klingsmann for the Adidas elite soccer program it was based out of a private school in Connecticut. And I uh, had the privilege of working with the goalkeepers, and these were the best 16 goalkeepers in the country each summer. They were so good that I really needed a little bit stronger players to um, fulfill my shooting exercises for them. So to the rescue comes Coach Reed with uh, some of his best attacking players, and, boy, those guys are good. And it was great because they loved it so much they would uh, spend the day with me But it gave me a time to really get to know uh coach reed and living here in the philadelphia area whenever he'd had games in the area i would join them the night before i was like the honorary guest so i've gotten a chance to know him over the years and you know i like the way you characterized him early on and then complimented again by by jeff he was somebody who he got this stuff long before it was either fashionable or a requirement i mean you could tell if you had to say and come up with someone who truly has all the reasons to be privileged, right? Just because of who he is, but to put that aside and with such authenticity, say, you know, this game's for everyone and I'm going to do my part to make it happen. So, you know, Ray, he's just one of those coaches that I've tried to emulate myself. I love his style. So I I can tell you, I've stolen some of his, (laughs) some of his coaching style because I I love just the way he relates with his players. But all that said, I, I just, I'm so thrilled that he's joining us with this. And I just think his name just needs to be there with everybody else.
1: I want to circle back to you, Jeff, and I want to repeat my question for the third time. The United Soccer Coaches Foundation is here to
2: help at a time when people might need some help. Correct. And uh, We're more than happy. Get online, get that application in. And we'll be happy to help in any way we can. Mike mentioned Target, which was a fabulous gift. And by the way, we're, uh, we've applied for grants for next year again. We hope we're successful. Both Adidas and the Subair Company are also uh, foundation funds established. So that's uh, a good step in the right direction for businesses. And we're looking forward to more of those, as we will for some coaches. If your coach is somebody that you emulated and there are a bunch of you that really think that his legacy or her legacy needs to be recognized, One way to do it is to get in touch with our Sarah Kubler, who is the interim development officer in the national office, and she can give you some points on how to go about raising some money in honor of your coach. It's a wonderful legacy, and uh, Mike and I will both tell you this very easily. It is the most honorable and rewarding thing that's ever happened uh, as a coach.
3: He makes a great point, and I'm glad you asked the question again. I want to, you know, as the marketing guy, right, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. So what Jeff was speaking to at the end of his comments is it really if maybe we do one of these in the future where we can just parade in front of you some of the stories you get this coach who went to get their premier diploma and their story was one where okay i got to this level but i just can't afford to do anymore and through a grant a scholarship they were able to take the course And then about a year or two later, they're sending you these wonderful letters of the impact they're having in their community. And then they are actually sponsoring, say, another grant that is a course for all of their coaches as they've taken their experience. And it just feeds on itself. But more importantly, where does all this end up? Think of all the young people, the players. I think of some of our awards that have gone to indigenous communities. And they'll tell you our indigenous soccer Coaches Advocacy Group will tell you, this is a huge, huge part and and really important for their communities to help young people, these young kids, to really understand healthy lifestyles and what character means and all the things that we all learned from the game that we could take for granted because we were fortunate to always know that we had, you know, where the next meal was coming from. But in communities where that's, they're on the bubble, you know, having an outlet like soccer is huge and it takes a... a, a a coach with not just the commitment and deliver it, but to have the training to do it the right way. So where I'm going with all this is, this is really about the kids at the end of the day. So if people out there on the podcast who are fortunate enough to be executives or people of influence in organizations like our sponsors, hey, we would love to get a call from you to say, you know, in this time of COVID, we're kind of looking at stepping back and trying to figure out a way how our giving Can have a greater impact at the grassroots level i would ask them to consider a gift to the united soccer coaches foundation we're a 501c3 through the united soccer coaches organization so they get all the benefits they would giving to any other organization and we would love to help use that money use that generosity to further the game of soccer in the community so thank you for letting me uh, just do that plug but i think in this time of COVID, it really has exposed the vulnerability of our kids and their needs. And, you know, this isn't a panacea that's going to solve all their challenges. But, boy, it's a a big step in the right direction.
1: All right, let's end with this, and I'll let you both answer it. And we'll start with you, Jeff, and now as the chair of the foundation committee. I am proud to be a member of United Soccer Coaches and proud to chair the United Soccer Coaches Foundation because why? Fill in the blank for me, Jeff. Because I owe the game of soccer more than it ever owes me. Your short answer to the same question, Mike, as someone who's involved in the foundation and the association.
3: There's nothing more to cherish the smile of a player's face when they've left the field after a wonderful training session or a game.
1: Jeff, one more plug, because right now you're saying, hey, if you need help, we will consider you. We will try to help you. One more plug on how they get that done, sir.
2: Yes, especially populating field of coaches who have lost income from COVID and trying to cover their membership dues. Go on to the United Soccer Coaches website, and click on Coaches Give and the banner up top, and the further description of what we're doing, as well as the application are right there. Couldn't be simpler. We should also mention that we mentioned Bill Holloman, the past president, uh, right up top. And Bill was named our Meritorious Service Award last year, and because of his history, is named his name. And there was one former recipient prior to that, and guess what his name was? Michael Curry. So, Michael, you've been doing a great job forever, and we look forward to continuing your service on the committee. Thank you, Jeff.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's how we tie it all together. Jeff Fennell, Mike Curry, two honor award winners giving back to the game through the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. An honor to be with both of you. Thanks for your time and your commitment to the association. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. What a great start to this week's podcast, talking about what's going on right now with the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. I hope you heard that. If you are in need, United Soccer Coaches and the foundation is here to help. You heard how to get it done. Coming up next, we continue a 5 Part series. This is part two of Heritage Month, led by the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Julio Serrano has loaded us up with five incredible guests, including Cynthia Cervantes. What a story! A young female coaching soccer in, as Julio said, a machismo world. She's getting it done, and she'll tell you her story when we return. As part of Heritage Month here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast registration for the 2021 united soccer coaches digital convention is now open even though we won't be together in person the interactive digital event taking place january 11 through 15 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters diplomas network opportunities and more to register visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org the game hasn't changed just the game plan
4: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As you know, working with Julio Serrano, who's done an amazing job as the chair for Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group under United Soccer Coaches. We're doing a five-part series, United Soccer Coaches Heritage Month, where we are meeting five inspirational figures that are Hispanic, Latino, and they are powerful. No different today when we are joined by Cynthia Cervantes, who has, done incredible work in the game that she loves. Cynthia, first of all, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks for being part of this five-part series.
5: Thank you, Dean. I appreciate your time, and I'm just happy to be here.
4: I'm happy to have you. And i got to tell you, when I asked Julio Serrano what the topic is with Cynthia, he's like, you know what? I just want her to talk about being a female coach in this Latino, machismo world, as he says, and how well you've done. so starting off with that, you know, one, being a woman, two, being a Latino, talk about your pursuit and your passion in this world that is you know initially mostly for men
5: i'm not gonna lie it, it's been a tough journey i remember walking into my first game and i was intimidated by all the male coaches around the border i'm from el paso and um just being out there i didn't have the confidence i remember mm-hmm. my first game i just stood there it was you 5 didn't even coach them didn't say a word but i had really good mentors one of my mentors is Coach Alejandro Martín del Campo, who encouraged me and evaluates me every game and tells me, this is what you need to do better. This is how you need to get better. I just felt a calling of being better. And if I really liked soccer that much, why not be a coach? I just said, why not? The opportunity is there through United Soccer Coaches, through the United Soccer Federation. Why not? So after that game, Coach Alex approaches me and says, Cindy, you got to be better. Remember what you learned. Have confidence. And little by little, I started having and gaining that confidence that I wanted, that I needed. And I started having success here in town. What I can tell you is that it's a tough journey. It's a lot of um, psychological tough journey in a way. I've dealt with parents who don't believe in a female coach. And when I ask them, hey, can you not yell at your kid, please? You know, they attacked me in a way because who am I to tell them? not to yell at their kid, or they decide to just move on and leave, and I'm okay with that, but the fact that I get really emotional attached to my players, I guess it's kind of like learning that. The parent at the end has the ultimate decision, and working with that parent and say, hey, you know, if you have a question of why am I asking you to please not to yell at your kid or not to coach them, come and tell me. If you have a question about training, Come and tell me. Come and ask me about it. And having that open door has allowed me to have that trust within my parents. And I'm very fortunate, you know, with them, with my mentors. I've had mentors. Rick Flores is also my mentor. Having people that I can rely on. Thankfully, through United Soccer Coaches, I've had female coaches that have been my mentors and have been there for me. And and I'm just happy for the opportunity to, to coach and, and most importantly, I don't care about the win. I care that the kid is a good human being at the end of the day. Whether he goes to college and plays college soccer or whether he goes professional and plays in the top level, I always tell him, no matter what, have fun and be a good human being. And those are the values that, as a coach, I stick to. But it has been a tough journey and I'm just happy to, to talk to United Soccer Coaches and giving me this opportunity and, and going from there.
4: Yeah, you mentioned United Soccer Coaches. You heard me talk about Julio Serrano. What has it meant to be a part of the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group and I have someone like Julio looking out for you?
5: It has been an overwhelming sense of joy and gratitude that I have towards Julio. You cannot imagine. It's, it's crazy because I've had instances that I've, I've cried because some situations have happened. And just to know that I can look at my phone and call him, it brings me so much joy that there's a leader that not only cares about the program, but also cares about the individual in the program. You know, it's not about what can I get out of you, it's more of what can we do together. And and, and to have that leadership within the program, you just feed off of that and you, you help other people and you help my community. And, and every time I speak to him, I, I, have, I feel like I have a sense of, like, um, wanting to go and, and do more, of urgency, of doing more, because I, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Or, you know, and he's very, very calming, and he's always answering me and every opportunity that he has presented to me.
4: Cynthia, do me a favor and walk us through your path all the way up to what you're doing now.
5: When I was growing up, it was a rough path. I always wanted to play college soccer. I just didn't know how i always wanted to play soccer and i did as a female you know i suffer a lot of um, my family saying you can't play because you're a you're a woman or you're a female you know my mom used to say no no i want you to do ballet but my biggest fan was my dad i started playing when i was 12 i always liked basketball then after 12 years old i was let go of the team in el paso because i didn't have the the money to play it was a pay-to-play club and I didn't have the money. So my dad started coaching me a lot, and he didn't know any better. So we would literally just run a mile, and I would play with the guys. So I grew up playing in the Lower Valley community here in El Paso, and I played with the guys all up to age 15. Once I was 15, I joined the high school team. I was the top starter in the high school team, and everything was fine. Then at the age of 17, my dad um, has a bad accident. So my mentor, my friend, I basically lost him. He lost uh, 50% of his brain, and um, I just didn't know what to do. I had to live with my sisters at that time, and it was just a rough path. But I knew that I had it worse at home because of the lack of income, because of the lack of just support. And I knew that soccer was a good ability and my way out. So I took my first chance. And thankfully, the club that I worked for, which is El Paso Juventus Football Club, was offering free uniforms, free tryouts, free everything to low-income kids that wanted to pursue a college education. And he went and saw me and he said, hey, you know, I want you to play for me. Like, why are you not playing? Why are you not not doing something? And I said, I could do that. And he said, yes, of course. And I went to Disney Soccer Showcase. I got the opportunity to play college soccer under Kelly Morrow and she can tell you when I first got to Lee's McRae I was in shock I didn't know how tall the trees were <laughs> you know they were pretty tall or humongous trees in North Carolina and the style of play was very very different but just the fact that I was doing something for myself and most importantly improved the quality of life of my dad I had to do it I just felt in me that I had to get my college education and I had to pursue that to improve his quality of life. I went to play in Miss McCrae. Then after that, Coach Kelly transfers to Lenore Ryan and my dad's health started deteriorating little by little. He got diagnosed with uh, cancer and that really hurt me and I thought I was going to lose him. So I decided to look somewhere closer. So I went to Texas A&M International to play under Claudio Arias and It was the best season of of my career. I loved it. I learned a lot. I had a lot of experiences. And it just helped the fact that I was in a Boulder community where Spanish actually was the number one language, but I could kind of, like, adjust a little bit more versus in North Carolina. I did very well in North Carolina. Earned 4.0, got a scholarship, got a lot of things paid for. But I just wanted to feel more at home, and because my dad was health was deteriorating I couldn't afford traveling all the time so then after that I decided to be a coach and I said how can I get better and be a coach so I contact coach Omar Morales in eastern New Mexico and I said hey is there an opportunity I can learn from you and thankfully he had seen me play since I was small and he said of course and now that I'm a coach I'm very grateful that I got to to play for him, and, and and that's how I ended up in Eastern New Mexico. And most importantly, learned from him and his wife, Miguel Morales, experiences that I wouldn't have learned if if I wouldn't have taken that chance of playing college ball. Then after that, I became a physical education teacher, and I had a calling, and I adopted a little girl. Her name's Natalie, and she was three at that time, and now she's 12. So I decided to be her mom, and, and it's a blessing for me. And then I became a physical education teacher and I worked now on the same soccer club that gave me the opportunity to pursue my college education. And now I come back to my community and help kids, but most importantly, girls soccer. Hey, you can play soccer in college. Hey, you can go. You can, yes, your family might tell you you need to stay or you need to take care of the family. But at the end of the day, they're going to look back and say, you know what, I'm glad she left, and, I, and she got her college education. Then I worked with Locomotives for two years. I've been part of our Texas ODP and New Mexico ODP, and I got accepted to the Ohio University Master's in soccer coaching. And like, currently, that's what I'm doing now with the pandemic. We kind of put on hold the soccer club, but working on the ODP program and, and my college education so I can be a college coach in the future, and getting my license and everything and working towards motivating and helping other female coaches and girls that want to play college.
4: What a wonderful story, including (laughs) the fact that you were called to adopt that young girl who I know has a wonderful mom. i got to admit, yeah, yeah, as I think about her and then I think about the story of your parents and particularly your mom saying no, you need to stay close by me. And you went out, and you did that for your dad and everything that that he went through. As they look at you now, your mom looks at you now. She's got to be proud, right, on multiple fronts.
5: Yes, yeah, she's very proud, and and she goes to my soccer games with my little kids, and she sees how I motivate them, and she sometimes cries and everything. Um, my dad too old. He's always with me all the time, and now they understand the importance that or the urgency that I that I knew, you know, it was to take that college scholarship. And now um, with my dad's cancer, I I was able to remodel his home. You know, the house I lived was was very, very old, and, and it was a tough journey. And before he went into surgery, I got to do that, you know, kind of like pay it forward. Like, hey, you know, thank you for everything you've done. And, and being able to provide for them is, is one of my biggest rewards. And not only that, not only for them, but I – when my daughter said, can you be my mom? That, I prayed about it. I, that to me was like, of course I can. You know, like, who am I to say no? And I just want her to be, she attends private school right now and I've given her the best education, but I've always told her, no matter if you don't like soccer or you do like soccer, be a good human being and pay it forward. You know, and and, and I love her and She's amazing, and her name's Natalie, and she's 12, so pretty well, you're, yeah,
4: you're, you're paying it forward on multiple levels, and I can see why Julio picked you. Let's end with a message to all those women, and particularly all those Latino women, that maybe feel like they can't have a voice. You have proven that they can. Definitely right now we're in a tough climate, so a lot of people are kind of looking over their shoulders, so we need more Cynthia Cervantes, who pursued her dream, who felt a calling to adopt a young girl and did it and didn't let anything slow her down. What is your message to Latino young women that want to make a go of it in soccer in this country?
5: Yes, you can. And reach out. Reach out. The opportunities are there. We just have to trust ourselves, have confidence, and go chase them.
4: You know, this is Heritage Month. So when you think of heritage, as it relates to your ethnicity, what does that mean, Mr. Montes?
5: Proud. Proud. It's something that we should be proud of. The fact that I can speak both English and Spanish, the fact that I can transmit through soccer, both in English and Spanish, and touch a life because I was brought up in a Hispanic Latino community. I just feel pride and if I can change a life in English or Spanish, no matter what language, I would do it. So I'm I'm proud of my culture and, and pr- proud that I'm a a, a Latina.
4: And I'm so proud that you're part of the United Soccer Coaches, Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, featured Heritage Month, one of five special guests. Great to have you on, Cynthia. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
5: Thank you so much, Dean I appreciate your time.
1: Wow, Cynthia Cervantes. What a story. If you uh, think you got it tough, play this one back. She was great. So last week I announced that we covered all 30 members, 15 men and 15 women of... Last year's 30 under 30 class. They're getting ready to name a new 30 under 30 class. But since we're done with that, we thought we'd go the opposite and talk to somebody that just celebrated 50 years as a member. My man, Steve Malone, who won the Robbie Robinson Lifetime Achievement Award. He's a former past president of the association. He's uh, got a great family. He's got a daughter dealing with some major health issues, but looks like she's going to get a kidney transplant. That's awesome. Steve's also been battling through some issues, but he's always got that positive attitude, positive enough that he says if they get a college cup in, he'll again go. He's been to like every college cup in the last 20 plus years, short of just a couple. Steve Malone, 50 year member of the association.
0: Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal. Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs.
4: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Staff. If you listen to this show enough, you know that I appreciate those who have paved the way for all of us to work in this game that we love so much, and I love everything about United Soccer Coaches, whether it's the Red Aprons, or it's the Hall of Famers, or the High School Lifetime Service Award winners known as the Robinson Award, or somebody that's been with the association 50 years, and Steve Malone checks both of those. Plus, he is a former president of the association in 2007, won that Lifetime Service Award in 2010, and got his 50-year pin just a year ago. Always great to see Steve Malone. Now we get to talk to him. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Steve. Steve, obviously past president, longtime high school coach, Lifetime Service Award. It's clear that this association means... A lot to you. Why is that?
6: More than anything, it's the people. The people that I've met along the way, been associated with, worked with that's one of the greatest things about the convention, is seeing and talking to people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously one of the things that I'm really going to miss this year, and the fact that uh, we're not going to have a, a real convention.
4: Now, I like your story. I'm from Ohio. I went to school in Athens, Ohio. We did events down in West Virginia. I've been at West Virginia calling soccer games. but. You grew up in West Virginia. Talk about your background growing up in West Virginia and what made you want to pursue education and coaching.
6: Yeah, I I grew up in a small college town, Philippi, West Virginia. Alderson Broadus is the uh, college there. With my dad, it was a little bit of a mixed background. The family owned a coal mine, and dad worked in the mines in high school and uh, through college. After uh, he graduated from college, he went into education. He was an educator, he was a teacher, he was a principal and a guidance counselor. His dad died in uh, 1945, and my dad went back in the mines. They needed him, and he went back to work in the mines for another three years. Then things got straightened out pretty good there, and he was able to go back into education, was offered a principal's job in education. That's really... Where my background as far as education started, I I saw how things were with him. He didn't want me to be a teacher. He wanted me to really do something else. He was kind of leading me toward accounting because I had a very strong math background. I went to West Virginia University, and for two years I was in accounting and my grades were okay there was no problem there but i it just wasn't what i wanted and at the end of that second year i said uh, on the way home in fact they picked me up in morgantown and i said uh, i'm going to change my major and as soon as i said it i thought ooh, i didn't say that right should have said i want to change my major dad said uh, well i guess i have to ask you what you want to change it to and i said no and uh, he said, well, he said, you know how we've had to live so as far as uh, finances are concerned with uh, teaching. And he said, if that's what you want, then that's what you got to do. Mom uh, supported both of us. So I came from a background of people who work and also had education as a priority. So I changed the major physical
4: education. That's where we went. So how did you end up in Maryland? What was your draw to high school athletics and specifically high school soccer? I know you were the top man at Andover High School for 23 years. How did you end up there? We moved to Oakland, Maryland, when I was in high school. One of my priorities when I
6: graduated was to go someplace where they had professional sport. Pittsburgh Baltimore and Washington I wasn't crazy about going to Pennsylvania Washington appealed to me I applied in the uh, Washington and Baltimore area and I got a job in Anne Arundel County at Andover when I started in Andover the head basketball coach his name was Dick Hart Dick was the only basketball coach ever in the history of Andover High School he knew that uh, I had uh, some some basketball background from West Virginia. He talked to me about coaching basketball and he was also the soccer coach. And He said, I'd like for you to be my soccer assistant. Well, I said, I don't really, you know, I don't have any background at all in soccer. He said, Yeah, no. I said, that's all right. He said, You know sports. He said, uh, Just come on out and uh, be my assistant. He said, We're going to start practice on Friday. I had taken the job really late, early September, actually. And I said, I still. Don't have enough clothes here. I'm going to have to go back home this weekend. I'd have to leave practice early. And he said, That's fine. He said, Stick around for as long as you feel you can and then just take off. And then he said, Because I have to leave early on Monday. He said, I have an appointment on Monday and I'm going to leave. And he said, Okay. So we did. Monday of practice, we got things started, and he was there for maybe an hour. And he said, okay, I've got to go. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll see you. He never came back. That was it. <laughs> I was the coach. <laughs> Our very first game was about three weeks away. My first game as a coach was the first soccer game I ever saw. first
4: soccer game you coach is the first game, <laughs> soccer game you ever saw or went to or were a part of right oh, it, you remember? It never saw wow what do you remember about that first game and-
6: I didn't know that this first team we were playing was really good it had been really good I frankly used a lot of basketball drills to start with it's a very similar very similar kind of game and we won and the team I had never won more than three games in one season. I had inherited a great group of kids, academically and athletically. I just remember that it was really late in the game, probably two minutes to go, and Dick Hart, who was the guy that uh, had gotten me involved and had been the previous coach, came over maybe two minutes to go and shook hands with me. And I said, he's not over. He said, it's over. They're not going to score down. and at this point, they're not going to score. Those are the main things I remember. And we went on to have a really good year. We were finished 7-3 and three and going into the last game of the season, had a chance to tie up for the county championship, but we lost uh, one to nothing to the team that won the championship. I liked the, the activity of the game. Everyone was involved. That, that really appealed to me, was that everyone was involved all of the time, The teamwork, it just appealed to
4: me. We're here with Steve Malone. Steve, if I asked you to pick your greatest moment in the game of soccer, would you be able to pick one? Wow.
6: (laughs) I think maybe the thing that I liked the most, our last year in the history of Andover High School, we went to the state championship game. No boys team in the history of school had ever won a state championship. We went to the state finals, and we tied. And in Maryland at that time, after regulation play, and then uh, 20 minutes of overtime, if the game was still tied, they were declared co-champions, which I like. I could never see the point in a state championship game of where you didn't have to have a winner to move on and going to penalty kicks. To send somebody home as a loser. So we got a lot of publicity that year. You know, at least one television story, the ABC affiliate in Baltimore did a story on us. The thing I guess I remember the most about that was after the game, there were a lot of interviews and uh, with the media, and of course, you had to see all the graduates that had come back. It was a cold a cold day in November. The team. When they finished, they just went ahead and got on the bus and sat very quietly, very patiently, waiting for me to finish. When I got on the bus, it was really quiet, and then they were all seated, and just very quietly, they started applauding. That's one of the most meaningful moments I've had.
4: I like that story. And what did it mean to get the call that you were going to win the Robbie Robinson Lifetime Service Award?
6: Actually, I was surprised. I never thought about it. Um, I, um, you know, it was, I was very humbled because the number of people that had won it before me, including the man who's, for whom it's named.
4: As we wrap up our time with Steve Malone, another reason I wanted to reach out to you, Steve, to be fair is, you know, obviously sports and soccer and, jeez, 2020 teaches us that uh, sometimes we got to deal with Adversity and you're definitely dealing with some adversity now, not just with your own health, but I think you'd probably even say more importantly the health of your daughter because what's more important than your own kids? Just get us caught up to date on your daughter Kelly and what she's going through.
6: July 29th of uh, 19, Kelly was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease and uh, was told that uh, she was going to have a transplant. And since then, she's been battling this stuff. She's had uh, problems along the way, uh, summer, a year ago, because of the kidney problems. She had some fibrous growth. She had to have a hysterectomy. She has a graft that they, they do her dialysis. She undergoes dialysis four hours a day, three days a week. Her graft has collapsed five or six times. Around Thanksgiving, she uh, contracted seed diff. It related to sepsis. It is life-threatening. She battled through it. Kelly lives in Chattanooga. And Joyce went down the week before Thanksgiving. Then our son Mike and I went down Thanksgiving morning. And Kelly got out of the hospital that day. You know, she was as sick as a dog and she was uh, very weak. She had made plans for us to go to Nashville on the Saturday after Thanksgiving to an ice show at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. I just didn't see any possible way. And I said to her, I said, you know, you're, you're too weak, you're too tired, you don't feel good. I said, how are you going to manage that show? And she said, get me a wheelchair. And we did. We went to Nashville and, and had a great day. And then, of course, this pandemic hit. We have not seen her since Christmas. She's been waiting, and this is like every step along the way, something happens to throw things off. But um, she got a call from Vanderbilt two weeks ago now, live donor, volunteer, has passed all of the testing and has been approved for the transplant. You know, the best news <laughs> we, we've had in 19 months. So he has to have some additional testing at Vanderbilt, annual testing. That testing uh, will take place October 6th. And if everything goes well at that time, then. Uh, she should be given a date for a transplant. A lot of prayers from a lot of people and uh, it looks like it's, we're cautiously optimistic. Too many things can still happen, but we're cautiously optimistic that uh, it is going to happen.
4: Uh, we certainly send more prayers on behalf of everybody with United Soccer coaches indeed and then also, see, get us caught up real quick on your health.
6: <laughs> Those of you that know me know that I'm i had uh, some problems now for the last 12 years uh, with my leg, and i have never really been able to figure out exactly what's going on. I am diabetic, but uh, they say that it has nothing to do with that. Early March, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and so I've been uh, going through uh, three different types of treatment for that. A week ago today, I completed five weeks of uh, radiation treatments, but uh, yeah, I feel good i got no complaints. I just uh, let all people Kelly is, is my big concern.
4: I want to end with, uh, and I think I have this right, we talked about your amazing career in high school, but along the way you had this great appreciation for college soccer, which you know I love. And I feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like there for a while you made it a mission to attend most college cups. Is that right?
6: Yes, from uh, 1995 up until... This year, I think we, had, we started off with a group of uh, six of us. Now it's down to uh, really only three of us that are still doing it. But uh, from 95 through this past year, I think, we've only missed three college cups. And, of course, uh, who knows what's going to happen this year, whether there's going to be one. We were all set to go to Santa Barbara. Yeah, we've, we've gone to those. Uh, we started off Mike McFarland was the communication director for the association. If you know Mike, Mike's now the athletic director at uh, Bloomsburg. Mike is a hustler. He wanted a hospitality room for all of the NSCAA code coaches who attended the, uh, the College Cup to be able to come and get something to eat at halftime in between rooms. And so he ordered all this pizza. And then he, he said, I need help. I said, we've got to have somebody to dish out this pizza. So the six of us who were there, we all like soccer and we like pizza. So sure, we'll do it. Well, that kind of got us involved with the working at the college cup. In those days, they had a coaches seminar, and we would work that too. Just you know, three, and uh, we're already talking. Well, if they have one in. Uh, in In the spring this year, we're going to go. It's just a really neat thing, and I just wish that somehow it could be held in a place where the attendance could be better. I don't think very many people really understand what a neat weekend it is.
4: DASA's been pushing this 21st century model, so maybe we'll play some games in the fall and coming years, play some games in the spring, and celebrate it with great weather and big crowds, and hopefully. We celebrate with you for many, many more years, Steve. Thanks for all you've done for the association. We wish uh, Godspeed to to Kelly and to you and your entire family, and thanks for all you've met to the association. We appreciate you, sir.
6: Thanks, Dean. I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I never really thought about thought about it as doing that much, but uh, the association and the people in the association have done more for me than I've done for them. But uh, it's just nice to hear that, anyway.
4: Well, in- indeed, they care about you, Steve. So all the best, and um, hopefully I'll see you in the spring at the College Cup. Okay, is that a deal? Yes, indeed.
1: Yes, indeed. I'll take that from Steve Malone all the way around. Coming up, we end our show with Brian Price, developer of Top Mental Game. <laughs> They'll tell us what that is and why it's important, especially now. Attention all college soccer coaches. Make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for college services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college.
4: We should be joined by Brian Price, who works with Top Mental Game. We'll explain that in a moment. The man is from Army and Stanford. He's got a great background. We'll get more into that, but let's first say hello to Brian Price of Top Mental Game. Brian, thanks for being on. Dean, thanks for having me. out.
7: It's a privilege to be on here.
4: All right, well with that, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell me uh, your background, where you grew up, how you ended up at Army and then Stanford, and how you started Top Mental Game.
7: Sure, absolutely. So uh, I grew up as a Jersey Shore kid playing three sports growing up, and then in college I was recruited to play baseball at West Point and played four years there and was a three-year starter and had a really fortunate career, and we won a championship and was the All-Patriot All-Decade League team, so fantastic run there. And then if you're familiar with military academies, I went and served for 20 years as an Army officer, and so for the first half of my career, I flew attack helicopters. I flew the Apache Longbow, had some uh, experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then the Army sent me to Stanford University to get a PhD in political science, and I spent the bulk of the second half of my career teaching at West Point, which was a great opportunity. I ran a place there called the Combating Paris Center and was also able to serve as an assistant coach on the baseball team. I retired in 2018 and started a leadership institute at Seton Hall University here in New Jersey. While I was a cadet as a player and as a coach, there was a place at West Point called the Center for Enhanced Performance, and it was a bunch of sports psychologists that worked with Army's Division One athletes and teams on the mental game, and I just fell in love with it, and I used it. I was a consumer <laughs> that had gotten some graduate training in sports psychology, and I decided to open up Top Mental Game, which is a business that works with both athletes and teams at the high school and the collegiate level on the mental game. And so the reason why I'm infatuated with helping out soccer right now is I'm a featured columnist for Soccer Today on the mental game, And my kind of reason for being is I have an 11-year-old that's taken to the sport and is playing on a really awesome team right now. They're second in the country. So that's my background.
4: You know, at the end of the day, too, Brian, like anything that moves you through your kids is worth moving for, right?
7: Absolutely. And it's funny because as as parents, I don't know if you have any children or not, but they don't want to listen to you. So even though my, my daughter might not take my advice when it comes to the mental game, there's lots of other soccer players out there that do. If people want to learn
4: more about Top Mental Game and even engage you, how do they go about doing that?
7: So I'm on uh, all social media. I have a website called topmentalgame.com. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, at topmentalgame. I'm fortunate enough right now to work with a number of Division One teams, but I also work with athletes all across the country. So I've worked with athletes uh, from – Hawaii all the way to New York and everywhere in between. And I think, as you well know, the mental game, the psychological component, is one of the four top pillars of development in U.S. soccer. And yet I think it's the one that is maybe the most important and the one that is most under-resourced and maybe most misunderstood by a lot of uh, coaches and players today.
4: Let's get right to it. With COVID going on, there's never been kind of more self-awareness and also just general awareness of kind of where you are and the people around you about mental fatigue and, and the mental stresses that whether you're a third grader dealing with the fact that you can't go to school and you're being homeschooled or you're a senior that misses out on your senior campaign. I mean, there, there's so many layers right now. And obviously, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast, but I don't mind you even talking about on a bigger front. Right now, the the mental stress that this pandemic and then the social injustice and everything that's going on in the world and in our country has amplified, Brian, so i got to believe what you're doing is even more important.
7: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, um, and it affects coaches. I'm sure the coaches are seeing it and their players as well. I think one of the reasons why I, just, I decided to kind of get into the, the mental skills side of the house with athletics is because... You know, when you compare just the physical improvements that have been made to, to youth sports and high school sports and collegiate sports, just compared to when you and I were kids, Dean, it's head and shoulders above. Like, you talk about today's facilities, the equipment, the tech, the level of coaching that you can get at younger and younger ages is fantastic. But with those improvements have come this newfound pressure to perform at higher and higher levels at younger and younger ages. And I think, you know, all those Dynamics that you just talked before about COVID, the civil unrest, probably throw in the political, the presidential election into that as well, has produced a lot of pressure on athletes, and yet I don't think that we have done a good job as coaches and or, you know, administrators and faculty, whatever you want to call it, in terms of pressing those athletes for how to cope and deal with that, with those pressures. And so that's where, you know, that, that's where top metal game comes into play.
4: Okay, so you're engaged now, and we've hired you to help our team. Okay, so let's say, for instance, I'm the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I want you to come in and help my soccer team. What does that look like?
7: Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing that I would do is give out a survey to all your players to give the coach and the coaching staff an understanding of, you know, what is the baseline level of mental toughness in their team. So I have, you know, one of my surveys that kind of will hit at those points. But when I work with teams, I run through a similar sequence of things that might sound familiar to you, but when you break it down, there's so much stuff to learn about how to perform at a high level and under stress. And when I think back to my career, whether it was flying helicopters in combat or whether it was testifying in front of Congress in 2016, there's so many moments when I feel like I've been able to perform under pressure and times when I haven't. And so when I talk to teams, I talk to to them about things like, what is mental toughness and what is it not? We talk about goal setting and how to properly structure your goals so you can maintain your motivation. We talk about self-talk. And then the, the favorite component of most of my athletes to the conversation and some discussions about visualization and imagery exercises that they can use in order to perform at their best when it matters the most my biggest analogy for this is i bet every coach that's not listening to this podcast has their you know very own warm-up routine when it comes to physically preparing their teams for performing on the pitch and yet if i ask you what is the, the mental stretching routine to get your team focused, loose, and confident and ready to perform at a high level? I bet you there's going to be a lot of cricket. And so I try to arm coaches and athletes with tools that they can either put on their phone or that they can utilize before practice or before a competition so that they can perform at their best when it matters the most. So, Brian, I use that example for the Ohio
4: State Buckeyes mainly because I like to say Ohio State Buckeyes. What is your ideal client? Is it a youth team? Is it a college team, a high school team? Is it all the above?
7: Obviously, I enjoy working with all levels. I think the sweet spot that I have enjoyed the most is, at the kind of elite high school, but also the the, the Division One college level. So I've worked with teams in the Big East. I've worked with teams in the Atlantic 10. I love sports. It's an opportunity for me to give back. And uh, I, I think that there's such a need out there for, you know, introducing players and teams to the mental game so that they can perform at a high level. I
4: understand you've listened to the podcast, so you know I'm a huge proponent of people helping people. But how did you find United Soccer coaches and how did you find the podcast so we were able to connect?
7: Yeah, absolutely. First got turned on to you guys. So my, my sister-in-law is actually a high school coach here in Manasquan and so she's a fan of y'all. I saw your social media. Diane Scavuzzo from Soccer Today is obviously knows literally everybody in the field. And so when I saw that you guys had put out this podcast, I was like, it's fantastic. So kudos to you, Dean, for running that up.
4: As we close out here, tell everybody one more time they heard your message and thought you did a great job, Brian, and no surprise because West Point and Stanford put a stamp on that. And thank you for serving our country as well, full stop, period. But how can people one more time reach out to you to get involved in Top Mental Game?
7: Thanks, Dean. So the website is topmentalgame.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Top Mental Game. would love for athletes and coaches to reach out. And if you are looking for somebody to be your mental skills coach or coordinator, look me up. I do one-offs. I work with teams over the course of the season. or I'd be happy to come in and keynote a banquet or a convention, as you say. And, Dean, let me just say thanks for giving me the opportunity to share what Top Mental Game is doing right now. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's my pleasure. I always love hearing from our listeners. And that's Brian,
4: B-R-Y-A-N, Price, Top Mental Game. You heard the website. Check out the social media. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks so much for being a guest. I appreciate it, Brian. Good to get to know you.
7: Thanks, Dean. Likewise.
1: Likewise to all of our guests today. I also want to thank Sean Chevro, Mike Kniffer, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linky. Stay safe, everybody.